So we mentioned it in the previous episode this week, but between filming that video and uploading it, it became official. The Writers Guild of America is on strike. Yep. Uh, so the WGA is the labor union representing writers across all scripted media. And apparently uh, a lot of people need to be reminded of this, but you kind of need writers to make TV, movies, video games. Even the news. Mm -hmm. And if the previous 2007 WGA strike is anything to go off of, Hollywood will try its best to work around the strike, uh, particularly by greenlighting just a bunch of quick and dirty reality programming. But a bunch of stuff that you actually like or are looking forward to will be getting delayed, taken off the air, or shortened because they need writers. And the writers are on strike. Yeah. And wait, hold on, wait. Isn't this supposed to be the tech show? Uh huh. Well, that's just the thing. Mm. The reasons for this strike are many, but a lot of it has to do with the ways the technology has changed scripted entertainment and also has the potential to change it in coming years. And another thing to point out, we did in the last episode, but you are not going to see the immediate uh, results of this strike. Yeah, the pipeline is uh, pretty clogged It's, a, it's up. about six months. So TV, yeah. uh, six months from now, then everything will air and after that it'll be affected and it goes from there. But uh, yes, this is a big deal and it was... 15 or 16 years ago. Uh, most notably, late night shows are already off the air. Yeah, they're so, all done. So, there you go. Uh, now, the fact uh, the factor that's getting the most attention on Twitter with this strike, where the dumbest takes imaginable are now algorithmically prioritized, uh, is, of course, AI, artificial intelligence. These woke Hollywood screenwriters have got another thing coming when ChatGPT replaces them. Learn to code, LOL, or, you know, at least prompt. Crying, laughing, 45-degree emoji. The boomer crying, laughing yeah. emoji. And yeah, AI is definitely on the WGA's list of grievances. And we'll delve into uh, that more a bit later. But at its core, this strike is about what all strikes are about. The writers say they deserve more money, and they cite pretty straightforward data supporting their cause. In this age of more media than any one person could ever possibly consume, writers are working more than ever while making a lot less money than they used to. Here's The Verge with a pretty thorough explanation of this strike. The WGA is trying to secure a new three-year contract for its 11,500 members, arguing that the shift to streaming has made it difficult for writers to make a living. There are a lot of complex reasons for this, but the biggest issues boil down to TV shows on streaming services having shorter seasons, residual payments being lower than those of broadcast TV, and the rise of mini-rooms, small groups that quickly produce scripts that make writers more disposable. A report published by the union on March 14th found that half of TV series writers are currently being paid the basic minimum rate, up from 33% between 2013 and 2014. The companies have used the transition to streaming to cut writer pay and separate writing from production, worsening working conditions for series writers at all levels, said the WGA, adding that more writers are working at minimum regardless of experience. It continues, the union's demands include increasing minimum wage rates and residual payments, addressing the abuses of mini-rooms, and increased contributions to the union's health and pension plan. The WGA also wants safeguards to regulate the use of artificial intelligence in script writing, preventing it from being used to generate content or rewrite work already contracted by human writers. 
quote, the company's behavior has created a gig economy inside a union workforce, and their immovable stance in this negotiation has betrayed a commitment to further devaluing the profession of writing, said the WGA West on Monday. From their refusal to guarantee any level of weekly employment in episodic television, to the creation of a day rate in comedy variety, to their stonewalling on free work for screenwriters and on AI for all writers, they have closed the door on their labor force and opened the door to writing as an entirely freelance profession. No such deal could ever be contemplated by this membership. And yeah, not to defend the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, or AMPTP, the group that represents the studios, which the WGA is in conflict with here, but their side of the story is that they offered a good faith deal with better compensation, but just couldn't come to an agreement with the WGA on stuff like mandatory staffing minimums, where a show would have to hire a certain number of writers for a certain amount of time, even if the projects don't necessarily need it. Uh, that still does not account for the vast differences in what both sides want here, though. Uh, what the WGA is asking for would result in an overall increase of $429 million per year in pay for these writers, while the AMPTP's counterproposal would result in an increase of just $86 million. That's big discrepancy. Big, big gap there. And the real motivation for the studios in this fight is pretty obvious if you've been paying attention. The studios have all been pumping huge amounts of money, some might even say unsustainably huge, into streaming services and content for those streaming services. In 2019, they spent $5 billion on streaming content, and this year, they're spending $19 billion. They're profiting more, but they're also spending significantly more, all in an effort to win the streaming wars. And of course, the ones who suffer the most under a system where production demands are high and profit margins are low are the ones whose labor actually creates the product. That's what strikes are all about. Letting the boss find out how much they actually need you so that they can continue to stay rich. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they, they need to be reminded every once in a while. It's not often, but yeah, it's, it's almost like clockwork. It's every like 15 years or so. Well, also just like the natural cost of living increase. Right. Uh, the fact that, uh, you know, rent and everything else has gone up a significant amount. It's like these demands are not... Yeah. Yeah, unjustified in a lot of cases just for, for basic living needs. And what's crazy, so like, I mean, this, so in this one, the, the streaming residuals is a big issue because like, yeah, you make a lot less money if you make uh, Stranger Things or something like that that keeps people coming to Netflix, keeps people watching it, mm -hmm. than you would working on an episode of network television where residuals are calculated based on reruns and stuff like that. Um, the 2007 uh, WGA strike was uh, the the AMPTP was offering zero residuals for mm -hmm. online content. And they're yeah. like, why would you want that? That's nothing. Yeah, it's, yeah. So uh, WGA was absolutely proven right in uh, that strike. Yes. Uh, they were on the right side of history. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and they were smart to not accept that offer because they would have been even more fucked than they are. They're protecting themselves. They're trying to future-proof themselves because doing yeah. this sucks for everyone. Uh, but uh, let's talk about the AI stuff now, mm -hmm. the whole AI aspect of this strike. In just the past six months, we have seen artificial intelligence emerge as a threat to various creative fields. And while for the most part, nothing has emerged that really holds much of a candle to the work of human beings, there is ample reason to be concerned that by the time the, the next WGA contract is on the table three years from now, things will have gotten a lot more serious. So they are thinking ahead here, as they should. 
But they're not even really thinking that far ahead. Um, here's the WGA's official proposals and counterproposals chart. And for reference, uh, MBA refers to minimum basic agreement, which is just what the WGA's contract with the AMPTP is called. Mm -hmm. The WGA's proposal on AI is regulate use of artificial intelligence on MBA covered projects. AI can't write or rewrite literary material, can't be used as source material, and MBA covered material can't be used to train AI. And the AMPTP column rejected our proposal, countered by offering annual meetings to discuss advancements in technology. Oh, good. Let's talk about it. <laughs> you know, every year, by the way, this stuff uh, evolves at a pace that has never been seen before. Yeah. Uh, it's, what, once it's, a year. Yeah, yeah. So once a year, we'll, we will uh, you know, gather and we'll just check in and yeah. see how things are going. And if you guys are upset about anything, you can for sure let us know. Yeah, and we will we're take not going to do anything about it, though, because... Yeah. We'll take it into consideration. That's what uh, these you know. contracts are for. <laughs> yeah, fuck so, off. So, understandably, not good enough. It absolutely makes sense that a screenwriting labor union would be against the idea of studios just feeding an AI their work and telling it to make something similar. Uh, the fact that the studios refuse to budge on any of that is very telling. They fully plan on replacing human writers with AI as much as they can, and as soon as they can. And it's not that AI isn't potentially a great tool in the screenwriting arsenal. It's just that the idea of a chatbot writing movies and TV makes a lot less sense if you actually know anything about how movies and TV are made and how much work goes into it. Here's Adam Conover of Adam Ruins Everything talking to Rolling Stone. But there's a lot more that goes into the screenwriting process than simply putting words together, Conover explains. Television and film writers are expected to have an expansive skill set beyond the simple notion of forming sentences. They're required to understand the actual filming process, consider the overall budget, and think about which scenes are more expensive to make compared with others, communicate with line producers about edits, rewrite scenes if an actor doesn't like their character, talk to costume designers and people in the prop department to figure out if they can or can't bring elements of the script to life, and think about the economics of filming locations, among other details. These are all important parts of the job of writing that are inseparable from one another, and it's simply not possible for a text generator, a computer algorithm that just predicts what word comes next in a sentence, to do that for you, Conover says. They need people to do that work, and those people are writers. Uh, yeah, but on the other hand, even if ChatGPT is a shitty writer that just regurgitates formulaic trash, the average American media consumer loves formulaic trash. They do. AI would be a disaster for your average prestige drama, but uh, maybe not so much for your average network sitcom or police procedural. Uh, it's not hard to imagine feeding ChatGPT uh, the over 1,000 episodes of Law & Order and Law & Order SVU, along with every news story about crime from the past few years, and having it spit out something that's at least passable. But uh, who knows? I would maintain that it's probably a lot more important to uh, keep writers employed than just doing this because it feels ghoulish and mean. Uh, well, yeah, morally, uh, <laughs> morally, the case is clear. But yes. uh, from an economic perspective, um, yeah, I just I can't possibly see uh, ChatGPT making television that in any way compares with the work of human beings, except on the level of a show like Law & Order, where it's literally a police procedural. Yeah. It's a paint-by-numbers. Sure. But look, who knows? We honestly kind of hope the studios actually try... <laughs> it, it, it's, do it. Do it then. I think it will fail horribly. Yeah. Uh, and I think it will make them look evil do and it. totally bad. Do it, tough guy. You don't need us. Go for it. Uh, yeah, they'll just see how ChatGPT isn't the, the magic that it's all 
yeah. hyped up to be. I mean, Ben Shapiro did the work for him. He he was like, well, he he did one of those posts where it's like, well, it's over. Yeah. And posted a script and it was like, what the what what is this? Yeah, no, it's it, this has been a very frustrating week, and it's like, so I went to film school, and my main takeaway from four years of film school was. I don't really want to do this. This, <laughs> this is hard. Um, and uh, I think a lot of people would benefit from like having that experience and at least for the understanding that like making shit is fucking difficult. Yes. Like even on even in the best case scenario, like it is hard fucking work. Like not they don't even have to go to film school. I just sit down, uh, get a p- pirated copy of uh, Final Draft and write me a fucking script. Like it is not easy. Mm-hmm. These are not, like, you see a movie, you've seen so many movies in your life, you're just like, oh, how hard could it be? It's pretty <laughs> fucking yeah. hard. And, like, you know, there's a lot of trash on TV, but the fact that there's, like, thousands of pilots that don't even make it uh, to production uh, because they're that much worse than the trash that is on TV should tell you something. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, it's, I mean, it, it, it's, People just need to respect creativity. There's a lot of... Uh, there's, a, there's a big it, animosity towards yeah, it, uh, it's, specifically it's very... online. And it, it has a lot to do with how uh, algorithmically boosted these terrible takes are. Yeah. Uh, which which um, does not bode well for everything else that's coming. No. If this is just a taste of the kind of discourse that you're going to get online, buckle up. So yeah, I, I do hope they uh, they at least try try making a show without writers. Oh, you writers. know there's executives right now just being like, well, look! Yeah, uh, just so they can see how, uh, you know, wrong they are about how easy that would be. But they might not even get the chance to do that because... Yeah, yeah. the unions representing <laughs> actors and directors are also due at the negotiating uh, table next month. And with many of their concerns uh, being the same as the WGAs, it's possible that we do see a complete production shutdown if the studios once again fail to properly address their demands. Yeah, and like... That would be uh, catastrophic for the California economy. Although mm-hmm. we're we're diversified enough that we'd be fine. But even the last one with just just the WGA on strike, it was like I think two billion dollars in two thousand seven money mm-hmm. uh, down the drain. So not great. Um, so it, it would be bad for um, California. It'd be bad for uh, people who like watching things. Although you've got so much to catch up on now that they've hit pause. I'm almost like I'm like listen. I support the workers for the, out of solidarity, but like. Also, there's too much damn TV. This at least gives me a chance to like catch up on shit. Um, I haven't even watched the fucking Yellow Jackets. Well, for some uh, unfortunate blue checks out there that have uh, the tweets have been retweeted nonstop since you know yesterday when the strike started. Uh, this this will do uh, untold damage to the American psyche because if people, people don't are have, going to kill them, yeah, that that person that was multiple tweets of being like, no, God, no, yeah. no, my people, content. People love their treats. Um, but, uh, yeah, it would be, I mean, the people that would hurt the most, though, if there was a full fucking production shutdown are the studios who went all in on fucking streaming at the expense of, um, properly compensating the people who actually make their shit. And it might be a, an important lesson for them to learn and an important lesson for them to learn from the people they owe money to who <laughs> are numerous. And when it comes down to it, I think the public perception and the reason there's so much animosity towards the creative fields is everyone just assumes that, like, Oh, they're in the industry. They're, they're rich. a working writer. They have. They must have houses in Malibu and yeah, five cars. It's no. like what? No, these are all working. Yeah, that's a, like, that's another thing. People like outside of L.A. just don't fucking get. It's like the vast majority of the film industry is like 
blue collar workers yeah. or like even if not blue collar then people who living like normal fucking middle class lives yeah. if they're lucky that's like the union people and that and it takes a while to get to the stage where you're even eligible mm-hmm. for union membership like it is there's a lot of i guess elites there's a lot of movie stars um uh, a lot of very rich people at the agencies and at the studios but like the most of the people working in hollywood it's it's just a job yeah and it's hard. <laughs> it's I, I've seen it from the outside looking yeah. in. It is not a fun place. No. Yeah. Anyways, anyway, yeah. we do have more AI news to get to today, but uh, we had to talk about the WGA strike mm-hmm. because uh, you should support it. Yes. But yeah, we got more AI. I was news. down at Warner Brothers today uh, yeah. at the picket line uh, because of my support of uh, writers and my hatred of Warner Brothers. And yeah. Two things came together in one, and I was happy to be there. I brought yeah. some supplies. And uh, I think I might do Netflix tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, do the whole tour. Yeah. Because that, it's look, the hottest social engagement of the season. The thing is, is if you're in the area, more more bodies on the picket line can only help. Gets people honking their horns, gets people to support. Yeah. Uh, so if you just go there and support and want to hold the sign, like, more than welcome. Yeah. Hell yeah. But yeah, that's, of course, not the only AI-adjacent news we have today. We've got more of that to get to. Some of it kind of scary. Also, it's We've the birthday got, uh, of, uh, of uh, the uh, uh, Slurp Juice. Yeah, it's happy filmed. anniversary. That was the death knell of uh, <laughs> NFTs. They officially died on the a day. A lot of you don't understand. A lot of the day, the day, lot, yeah, the, the, <laughs> it, the day that we found out that uh, you can use more slurp juices more than once. Yeah, for on multiple because eights, a yeah. lot of people just don't get it. Yeah, we got AI news. We got, of course, the mandatory weekly update on Elon Musk's Twitter, and we got some bad news for Utah residents who enjoy online pornography. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to pause there for a second because first we got to do some ads. This episode is sponsored by Mudwater. Oh! Mudwater is a coffee alternative with four adaptogenic mushrooms and Ayurvedic herbs. With only a fraction of caffeine as a cup of coffee, you get energy without the anxiety, jitters, or crash of coffee. Mudwater leans on mushrooms in their blend of matcha and their blend of chai for sustained energy. Each ingredient was added for a purpose. Lion's mane, that's a mushroom, for alertness. Cordyceps to help support physical performance. Shaga and Rishi to support your immune system. Turmeric for soreness and cinnamon for antioxidants. And yeah, I love this stuff. It's uh, it 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 tastes great and it's good for your tummy. And uh, <laughs> I yeah. love things that are good for my tummy. Yeah, and I, I love things that do not contribute to my anxiety levels, high as they already are. Yeah, it wakes you up without any of that other stuff. Otherwise, I drink uh, <laughs> way too much coffee. Yeah, it's, it's way too anxiety. It's rank. good to have alternatives mm. that won't uh, keep you up till four in the morning. And uh, worried about every single aspect of your life. So mud is 100% USDA organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, vegan, and kosher certified. Mm-hmm. Mudwater donates monthly to leading psychedelic research centers, as Mudwater believes the country is in a mental health epidemic, clearly, and sees psychedelics as useful tools for individuals with depression, PTSD, anxiety, and other mental health problems. Go to mudwater.com newsday to support the show and use code newsday for 15% off. That is M-U-D-W-T-R dot com slash newsday for 15% off with code newsday. This episode is also sponsored by Bombas. Bombas makes getting active more comfortable with socks that support your sport, breathable t-shirts that keep you from overheating, and underwear made to move with you. Bombas performance socks are made with 
technically advanced features like proprietary hex tech, which incorporates sweat-wicking yarns, supportive strategic zone cushioning, and built-in ventilation to increase airflow. They're so comfortable and colorful, you'll want to wear them even when you're not working out. I wear it all the time. No matter how you like to get active, though, Bombas has something for you. Gripper socks help you stay balanced in Pilates and bar. Left-right foot contoured running socks give you a perfect fit that won't slide in your shoe. Merino wool golf socks keep you comfy and supported all day while on the course. Go head-to-toe Bombas in lightweight t-shirts designed to feel cool against your skin, underwear so airy and breathable you may forget you're wearing any, and socks designed to make every workout more comfortable. Bombas are a gym bag staple that are made to last, and if they experience any wear and tear, Bombas will replace them for life. And because socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the number one, two, and three most requested items in homeless shelters for every comfy item you purchase, Bombas donates another comfy item to someone experiencing homelessness. Go to bombas.com slash todaydaily and use code todaydaily for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash todaydaily and use code todaydaily at checkout. And back to the news now with yet another dire warning from someone who has been working on AI for a very long time uh, that this shit is all moving way too fast Mm -hmm. and has the potential for serious harm. Oops. Uh, Dr. Jeffrey Hinton is a cognitive psychologist and computer scientist whose work on artificial neural networks over the last 50 years has earned him the nickname the godfather of AI and... He just quit his job at Google over concerns about what his life's work is now unleashing on the world. Telling the New York Times, I console myself with the normal excuse. If I hadn't done it, somebody else would have. Christ. I have become the destroyer of worlds. Uh, Yeah. uh, (laughs) He's the new Oppenheimer. I mean, that movie is coming, well, almost at the right time. A little late. But uh, here's more from that article with some background on Dr. Hinton. Dr. Hinton, a 75-year-old British expatriate, is a lifelong academic whose career was driven by his personal convictions about the development and use of AI. In 1972, as a graduate student at the University of Edinburgh, Dr. Hinton embraced an idea called a neural network. A neural network is a mathematical system that learns skills by analyzing data. At the time, few researchers believed in the idea, but it became his life's work. In the 1980s, Dr. Hinton was a professor of computer science at Carnegie Mellon University, but left the university for Canada because he said he was reluctant to take Pentagon funding. At the time, most AI research in the United States was funded by the Defense Department. Dr. Hinton is deeply opposed to the use of artificial intelligence on the battleground, what he calls robot soldiers. That continues. In 2012, Dr. Hinton and two of his students in Toronto, Ilya Sutskever and Alex Krzyzewski, built a neural network that could analyze thousands of photos and teach itself to identify common objects, such as flowers, dogs, and cars. Google spent $44 million to acquire a company started by Dr. Hinton and his two students. And their system led to the creation of increasingly powerful technologies, including new chatbots like ChatGPT and Google Bard. Mr. Sutskever went on to become chief scientist at OpenAI. In 2018, Dr. Hinton and two other longtime collaborators received the Turing Award, often called the Nobel Prize of Computing, for their work on neural networks. So that guy, the guy whose work directly led to the current state of AI, that guy is now publicly warning everyone about the dangers of what he helped create. I have, I have become, what is it, God the Destroyer of Worlds? I've become Death? Death the Destroyer of Worlds, yeah. yeah. His short-term concerns have to do with stuff like disinformation. His longer-term concerns are about AI's effect on the job market. You see? Yeah. And his ultimate concerns are companies and governments at some point handing over more and more control to AI systems until they get us all killed. So, a bit alarmist, but the guy does know what he's talking about. 
Isn't it odd how AI is the only industry where people working in it frequently warn the public about how dangerous what they're doing is? It is weird. Yeah. You don't see that too often. Hey, I've been working on AI for a long time, and I am sorry. Whoops. I'm sorry for ruining the world. It's bad. The thing I did, real bad. You don't see that too often. Yeah. It's like a weird 80s horror film where uh, a doctor screws up some way, and they're just like, oh, jeez. Oh yeah. no, what have I done? Yeah, but like you see this, like that, that open letter that was uh, few, like a month ago was like half the people on there were people like literally directly working with AI. I'm yeah, like, they're like, what we're, we're doing We're all trying is... to catch the guy who did this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, except it's Honey, I Ruined the Industry. Yeah. yeah. And just for now, and then it'll get worse. Literally begging for regulation. Yeah, I mean... Uh, Please regulate us. It seems like a lot of companies do that because they understand how tantalizing the draws of capitalism yeah. are. They're just yeah. like, I will not stop making money hand over fist. I need to be saved from my own greed. Yeah, It's, it's pretty, like a compulsive gambler. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Anyways, I hope somebody does something about this. Yeah. Uh, probably nothing to worry about, yeah, though. No, Let's don't... just keep careening towards uh, uh, the unknown. Don't think about it. Put mm -hmm. on a nice TV show. Oh, shit. Yeah. Shit, it, I can't even distract myself while the world is ending. Uh, again. Damn it. Uh, maybe timelines are warped because of how old I'm getting, or maybe it was because of the pandemic. But uh, the significant leaps in AI technology have only been happening for the past five months. Yeah, it's, it's all too fast. It's yeah. too fast. I miss NFTs. Bring those back. <laughs> well, what, a, what a harmless, yeah. joyful time we were having. I didn't having. know how good we had it. Yeah. And yeah, sure, the apocalyptic stuff, it's still pretty far-fetched. Far-fetched enough that hopefully it's never allowed to happen. But Dr. Hinton is absolutely right about the, the short term. You know what's going to happen? They're going to be like, you know, the government, the U.S. government's going to be like, don't worry, we fixed the problem. We banned China-developed AI applications. And so only yeah. the really good ones, all the U.S.-backed... Freedom-loving AI. Exactly. Yeah. Those are the ones that are totally allowed. And therefore, absolutely nothing bad will yeah, happen. We fixed the glitch. But yeah, AI is already filling the internet with spam and disinformation and being used by criminals to scam people. It's, it's a great tool for people with bad intentions. Mm -hmm. uh, and the spam factor is already a huge problem. According to NewsGuard, a company that makes a browser extension to rate the reliability of news websites, who recently released a report on a deluge of news websites that have sprung up this year that are seemingly entirely AI-generated. From their report, the websites, which often fail to disclose ownership or control, produce a high volume of content related to a variety of topics, including politics, health, entertainment, finance, and technology. Some publish hundreds of articles a day. Some of the content advances false narratives. Nearly all of the content features bland language and repetitive phrases, hallmarks of artificial intelligence. And here's The Verge with more. The sites identified by the organization often have generic names like Biz Breaking News and Market News Reports and are stuffed with programmatic advertising that's bought and sold automatically. They attribute news stories to generic or fake authors and much of the content appears to be summaries or rewrites of stories from established sites like CNN. Most of the sites are not spreading misinformation, said NewsGuard, but some publish blatant falsehoods. For example, in early April, a content farm named CelebritiesDeaths.com posted a story claiming that Joe Biden had died. This Biden story might briefly fool a reader, though is soon revealed to be a fake. The second paragraph contains an error message from the chatbot that was asked to create the text and was evidently copy and pasted into the website without any oversight. 
I'm sorry, I cannot complete this prompt as it goes against OpenAI's use case policy on generating misleading content, says the story. It is not ethical to fabricate news about the death of someone, especially someone as prominent as the president. Um, I love how lazy these fuckers are. No, this is automated. This isn't someone just proofreading it. This is automated. They've automated the entire process. This is literally, no one is looking and verifying the hundreds of garbage articles that go up a day. This is an automated thing that's operating somewhere. It's just like from last week, there's like Twitter bots that like half their posts are like, as an as an AI algorithm, I, I'm afraid I can't do that, Dave. Uh, but I like that ChatGPT or OpenAI is like, you don't want to tell lies about people dying. Especially, Especially the president. <laughs> the president, yeah. They made a very specific note about that. Yeah. But yeah, the, uh, the, the, the repeating quotes that AI comes up with it, so people keep doing this with our show. They're like, "Look, I, I wrote an AI episode of your show, and like half of the, the of the script is just us constantly identifying ourselves." Yeah, it's just like the, the the AI really wants you to know that it's not a robot. So it just keeps saying, "I'm Ricky from Internet Today, and I'm Elliot from Internet Today, and as Ricky from Internet Today." Yeah. Yes. And then, to top it all off, it's not good. It's bad. It's not good. I, I grew tired of ChatGPT as soon as I realized that it wasn't capable of writing uh, Donald Trump's speeches about uh, hypothetical topics. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, this is great proving ground. Like, obviously, Donald Trump's... He, the man won't shut the fuck up. There's, like, millions of words of his... So I'm like, uh, Donald Trump's speech about, like, going to WrestleMania. And it's just, like, most fucking wooden bullshit. I'm like, no, you, you, it's, you're not even trying. You don't have the yeah. juice. Yeah. Come on, give me the yeah. juice. Anyway, moving into the more hypothetical capabilities of AI, uh, they are getting less and less hypothetical, as shown in two studies released this week, one of which involved using ChatGPT and fMRI machines to read people's thoughts, <laughs> and another which used AI to decode brainwaves and see through the eyes of a mouse. Both studies are a bit less impressive once you get into the details, but they're still a a very startling look into the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's Motherboard. Scientists have invented a language decoder that can translate a person's thoughts into text using an artificial intelligence transformer similar to ChatGPT, reports a new study. The breakthrough marks the first time that continuous language has been non-invasively reconstructed from human brain activities, which are read through a functional magnetic resonance imaging machine, fMRI, the decoder was able to interpret the gist of stories that human subjects watched or listened to, or even simply imagined, using fMRI brain patterns, an achievement that essentially allows it to read people's minds with unprecedented e- efficacy. While this technology is still in its early stages, scientists hope it might one day help people with neurological conditions that affect speech to clearly communicate with the outside world. Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, like, that would be pretty cool for people with, like, ALS or whatever. It would be less cool for everyone else who who wants to keep their thoughts to themselves in their own skull. I can't even remember what it was that I watched, but this happened on an episode or a movie of something that I watched recently where they're like, stop fighting it, we can read your mind. Just think that one thought. I don't like this. No, this is going to be used for interrogation. But thankfully, fMRI machines are not very portable at all. Mm -hmm. Although, yeah, you kidnap you black bag someone and bring them down to the... Throw them into the, the MRI. FMRI machine down at the station? Yeah. Oh, fuck. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. The police are going to start putting MRIs. <laughs> oh, no. But yeah, also, uh, the results are very impressive here, but when you look at them, they're still really just like a basic gist of what someone was thinking uh, and listening to. There's enough errors that the results really wouldn't be that useful or practical or even, like, accurate. 
Still, though, even if the AI is reading people's minds at a kindergarten reading level, it's only going to get better, and that's fucking terrifying. Mm -hmm. I think maybe it was Avatar 2. I could be wrong. Oh, that's why I didn't know, because I haven't seen that. <laughs> wow, well, you can see it as it was made to be seen on the on toilet. On Twitter. <laughs> on the toilet. Yeah, on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> only for blue checks, though. Yeah, uh, yeah. They're the only ones that can upload entire movies. Yeah. Uh, anyways, here's more from Gizmodo. What was once the realm of science fiction and grifters who claimed to have psychic powers takes another step towards reality as a team of researchers from the École Polytechnique Fédérale de la... I'm butchering that. École Polytechnique Fédérale de la The EPFL successfully developed a machine learning algorithm that can decode a mouse's brain signals and reproduce images of what it's seeing. Before you share this new research to your Facebook group or email friends and family in a panic, telling them it's time to don their tinfoil hats, this breakthrough doesn't yet mean that shadowy government types can covertly read your thoughts. We're still a long way off from that reality. But it's a fascinating next step that potentially paves the way for improvements in how we study both human and animal brains, and how we understand the brain's reactions to visual and other stimuli. Look! We've got tiny cameras. Just put a tiny camera on the on the mouse, and then you can see what it's seeing. I don't see why we have to analyze its brain waves. Also, I hate that every article um, has to end with an upbeat, this is going to do wonders for the medical community. No, motherfucker, this is going to get abused immediately by the military and police. Uh, yeah. Just, look, just go back to that doctor that had to move to Canada to do his research because yeah. he's like, well, the only funding I can get is the Department of Defense. <laughs> yes. Like... Again, we are on this loop of history happening, and, and the loop keeps getting smaller. Yeah. Yeah, it's... <laughs> we just did a story about how the guy had to flee the country to get proper funding. Anyway, in the example of... No, this... it's doctors. They're going to be able to make people who can't talk. You're going to understand them. Isn't it cool? It's great. I'm so excited <laughs> to have my mind fucking red. And nothing bad ever happened. But yeah, so... With this mouse, I mean, they, so they, they shared a clip of it, and it's a mouse watching a movie clip. I believe it's uh, the Orson Welles film, Touch of Evil. Oh. In the opening shot, which is like, it's like 12 minutes of a single take, shot in Venice Beach using multiple techniques. Uh, I'm, I'm veering off course here, but good movie. Anyway, uh, they shared a clip of the mouse watching that clip, and then side by side with the algorithm reconstructing the movie clip from just the mouse's brainwaves, and the results are basically just like a slightly stuttery, slightly distorted version of the original clip. Sort of like watching the clip through a very shitty internet connection, and not through a mouse's decoded brainwaves, which is insane. Uh, but good way to get around copyright, though. Yeah. <laughs> this this movie was produced by a mouse, and not the one you're thinking it's about. Not, not Disney. It's not copyright infringement if you bring a mouse to a movie theater and, <laughs> and, have, it... and have them watch the movie, and then you decode their brainwaves. Yeah, it's an easy way to get around things. Uh-huh. But, yeah, also, I guess a big caveat here is that the AI that was analyzing the brainwaves was trained on that exact same clip. Okay. So it knows what the mouse is seeing because it's already seen it. They should have led with that. I mean, I'd be curious to see what results, if any, it could achieve with something that the AI hasn't seen before. Might I, be, might be nothing. Might be, might be something crazy. I don't I'm know. getting, I'm gonna get way dystopian, fake sci-fi with this, and say that that, like, because of what you just said, they can just make people's thoughts be whatever they want, and be like, well, I mean, we decoded it from his brain. I mean, yeah, it's like lie detectors. Yeah, it's like, just like they, they can get the exact results that they're yeah, looking the for. Most dystopian, most dystopian use case of this and the other brain reading thing is, yeah, like it's it's going to remain in the very like 
not very useful uh, realm for a long time, but the cops are still going to use yeah, it. Yeah, like, like they you just, see right there. Because the same with it. Like, they put, like, security footage in it. They're like, all right, think about what you did on, uh, you know, yeah. uh, January 12th, 2000. 19. It's like, like, oh, look, there's that footage that we talked about. Lie detectors are, like, absolutely worthless, but, Mm -hmm. like, the general public, uh, like, fully believes that they can absolutely tell the difference between truth and a lie when... So, yeah. Foiled by a simple tack in the shoe. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, yeah, a lot to be said about where we're headed as we, for whatever reason desperately try to advance technology that might kill us all. I'm going to join the fucking Amish. Like, why are... <laughs> why... That... My biggest question with, with all of this is, why are we doing this? Yeah, it, because we could. Not because we should. Like, there always seemed to be a point with technological advancement. We're, like, ten years off from them literally doing the entire plot of Jurassic Park, probably. It was, like... <laughs> like, the last... Like beat for beat. The last big oh, thing... Shit. It was, like... You can watch a movie in the palm of your hands. And now it's like, uh, yeah, the robots are, are, are killing people overseas, but but none of our people are dying now, so... Not yet. And they can identify w- which person is a bad person and a good person, and yeah. don't look any further. It's fine. I checked his brainwaves. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was thinking terrorist thoughts. <sighs> anyway, that's enough, more than enough AI news for today. Let's move on to something more exciting and much lower stakes. Well, for some. Pornography. <laughs> Not for the state of Utah. <laughs> and if you happen to live in Utah, your life just got a whole lot less exciting because a new age verification law that just went into effect has made Pornhub and the many, many other websites owned by its parent company uh, simply block access to the entire state of Utah. Here's Ars Technica. Since Monday, Pornhub has begun blocking access for all Utah visitors, taking a strong stance against the state's recently passed age verification law. In a video statement that now appears on Pornhub's homepage when Utah users attempt to access the adult site, Pornhub spokesperson Sharita Bell said the law was not a real solution. As you may know, your elected officials have required us to verify your age before granting you access to our website, Bell said in the video. While safety and compliance are at the forefront of our mission, giving your ID card every time you want to visit an adult platform is not the most effective solution for protecting our users. And in fact, will put children and your privacy at risk. It continues, in its statement, Pornhub warned that without proper enforcement, Utah's law would put children and privacy at risk by driving Pornhub users to platforms that choose not to comply with the law, including pirate sites, possibly hosting illegal content. As we've seen in other states, this just drives traffic to sites with far fewer safety measures in place, Bell said. Very few sites are able to compare to the robust trust and safety measures we currently have in place. Uh, okay. I mean, you are porn hubs, but... Yeah, you've had uh, plenty of questionable I guess things in the past I don't pop know. Up. I think... So they, they're under, they've been under new ownership for a while now, ever since uh, shit really hit the fucking fan there. So <laughs> yeah. I'd like to think that uh, they are taking that more seriously. You would hope that way. they would be, yes. Um, but, yeah. Good news, though. Horny Utahns. Horny Utes. Not every smut site has left the state. Some, like X-Hamster, are using a digital verification company called Yodi to remain in compliance and allow you to jerk off after just a few simple steps. Motherboard went ahead and tested out how Yodi works. There's multiple methods, and the simpler way involves about six steps, one of which is allowing access to your webcam to scan your face. Every time you want to jerk off. Yeah, just more and more desperate. This is me. This is my horny face. Yeah, I... (laughs) If that's a real boner killer, though, there's a more manual process, which Mother Door Board describes here. 
In our case, the steps included downloading the Yodi app on a mobile phone, signing up for an account, scanning a QR code on the X-Hamster site, giving consent for Yodi to scan our face, entering a date of birth, agreeing to several pages of terms and conditions, a privacy policy, and acknowledgement of how Yodi may use personal data for research purposes, getting a verification code via text, creating a five-digit PIN, scanning and uploading a selfie, scanning a government-issued ID, and waiting for Yodi to review it. In this case, we uploaded our U.S. passport to Yodi, tried to allow our iPhone to detect the details of our passport, eventually had to scan it manually, then waited several minutes for the app to verify it. Due to higher demand than usual, <laughs> the app said, this would take longer than usual. How long as usual, the app did not say, but ultimately processing took about five minutes. Once it finished, we had to go back to the X-Hamster site to scan the QR code again because the original one had timed out. We then had to register an account on X-Hamster and were asked what our kinks were <laughs> and what types of porn we wanted to see. <laughs> With either method, if they don't make an X-Hamster account, users will have to scan their faces for Yodi every time they want to watch porn. It's easy. I would like to point out how easy it is to acquire a gun in this country. <laughs> like, what, what are we doing? Yeah, that is, um, well, you know... Porn kills people. Guns are just just a part of living in also, the land of the free. It's Utah. The Mormons, they'll just go out and get another wife if they get horny. It's true. That's what they do. Mm -hmm. So good luck to everyone out in Utah. Though, from what we can tell, you could also just use a VPN. Which, yep, that's what teenagers are going to immediately do because they know how the internet works. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're already doing that, I'm sure, and exchanging tips about it between... Each other during classes. Yeah. Just like, yeah, idiot. Get this a will have no fucking effect whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, this law will accomplish basically nothing while inconveni inconveniencing a whole lot of people. And, uh, you know, they're going to be sitting there waiting, raring to go and have to wait for all their information to be processed. The hospitals will be overwhelmed with men whose balls are Too so big. blue. Just bursting. i never seen balls so blue in all my years. <laughs> But yeah, let's move on now to another mandatory part of this show. The Elon Musk section. Dun, dun, dun. Hooray. Dance. Uh, dab. Uh, t Twitter is going great, of course. And you can tell it's going great because some of Twitter's top users are flocking to another app that looks and functions almost exactly <laughs> the same as Twitter, but minus Elon Musk. And please send us an invite. Yeah. I keep getting fucking faked out. People are like, oh, I got one for you. You're like, oh, shit, it's expired. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and this app is even made by Twitter's old founder and CEO, Jack Dorsey. And even with a very limited supply of invite codes, Blue Sky is already topping the download charts because people just want to be ready to immediately jump ship from Twitter at the first opportunity, mm -hmm. as soon as that code comes through. Adding insult to Elon's injury, Blue Sky was literally an internal Twitter project to develop a decentralized social media protocol before it was spun off back in 2019 into its own independent thing. And time will tell if Blue Sky really is the platform to topple Twitter, but if it does, that'd be very ironic, don't you think? And over on Blue Sky, Jack Dorsey is finally letting his feelings about Elon's run at Twitter be known. Um, he's not happy. Here's the Washington Post. <laughs> Former Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey issued his sharpest criticism yet of Elon Musk's leadership of Twitter on Friday, saying Musk has not proved to be the platform's ideal steward and should have walked away from buying the site. The criticisms and explanations came in a series of reply posts Friday night on the fledgling social network Blue Sky, a potential Twitter rival that Dorsey helped to start. 
The remarks illustrate how Musk's erratic leadership has disillusioned a one-time friend and powerful ally, reflecting a growing backlash against a tumultuous tenure that has sent advertisers fleeing and its users searching for alternatives. It continues, Dorsey said he thought Musk, the Tesla CEO who serves in the same role at Twitter today, should have paid $1 billion to back out of the deal to acquire the social media platform. The comments are a stark reversal from Dorsey's strong endorsement of Musk's takeover when he wrote a year ago that if Twitter had to be a company at all, Elon is the singular solution I trust. I trust his mission to extend the light of consciousness, <laughs> Dorsey tweeted at the time. In his remarks on Blue Sky on Friday, Dorsey struck a far different tone. Dorsey said he didn't think Musk acted right after pursuing the site and realizing his potential mistake, adding that he did not believe the company's board should have forced the sale. It all went south, Dorsey added. <laughs> Meanwhile, Elon's quest to make Twitter profitable through subscriptions to Twitter Blue is going just great. It's impossible to know exact figures, but based on available data, getting rid of legacy verification had almost no effect whatsoever on increased signups for Twitter Blue. Elon destroyed a core feature of Twitter that was around for over a decade in exchange for basically nothing, except for the algorithmic boost of the worst people you could yeah. ever encounter online. Yeah, we love it. <laughs> the number of paid Twitter Blue users was between 600,000 and 635,000 before the purge, and 10 days after the purge, it was between 640,000 and 680,000. Wow. Not big gains. Didn't really move the needle much. Not at all. And uh, actually just makes the site even uglier because being proactive about blocking everyone yeah. just results in threads with uh, that are just filled with lines of saying that you block It is weird. Like, yeah... You would think if you blocked someone a while ago, they just wouldn't put their tweets there, but they still put them there. You just can't see them. So you gotta, you still have to scroll. Yeah, it's all like these weird patched together things, like how if you change your bio and were previously verified, your verification oh, symbol comes back. <laughs> but yes. I'm spoiling the episode. 650,000 Twitter subscribers. That's not nothing. Mm -hmm. It does add up to around $5 million a month in Ooh. revenue. Um, is that a... a <laughs> Is that going to solve Twitter's financial problems? Absolutely fucking not. Uh, but yeah, here's Mashable pointing out how Twitter Blue compares to similar services. To compare, Snapchat, a competing social networking platform, launched a premium paid subscription service last June and reached 1 million paying subscribers in just two months. Musk's version of Twitter Blue launched in November. As of mid-April, Snapchat shared that its Snapchat Plus premium service now has more than 3 million paying subscribers. So... Getting fucking dunked on by Snapchat. I do love that Elon supporters being like, well, I'd like to see you make $5 million. Meanwhile, just like money is on fire directly yeah. behind them. Yeah. But, but the mountain is the size of Everest. And there's like a little pile here. And they're like, well, $5 million. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, we did it. <laughs> $44 billion. It's billion. Gonna, how, I don't know how many, uh, how many months. Five million dollars a it's, month. It's how many months? Anyone's lifetimes. Let me. Time, yeah. I'm gonna do some cell phone math. Let's see. So they need to the copyright. Forty-four. Go down. Zero 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 divided by five zero 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 zero. It'll only take eight thousand eight hundred months. Cool. Which. Um, Divided by 12, that is 733 years. We've done it. So look who's laughing now. Yeah. Yeah. Only 700 years from now, Twitter will almost be done paying off. And its thanks debts. for Elon Musk. Thanks to Elon Musk's leaps in, uh, you know, extending human existence. I might, if I suck his dick hard enough, 
Yeah. I might live to see Twitter be profitable, which is my personal goal as a Twitter Blue user is to see that Elon Musk is successful at something and absolutely nothing else matters. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, meanwhile, earlier this week, it was discovered that uh, former legacy verified people like yours truly, but not Thor's truly. I was never verified, and, I, and I'm proud of it. <laughs> yeah, you really showed us. Yeah. Uh, you can just get your check marks back if you put the phrase former blue check mark or legacy check mark in their profile. And it wasn't just that. It was, I added blue check, but apparently if you just change it at all, oh. it did it. Because I removed it. I removed the thing that said blue check, and it put it back up there. So you're stuck with it now? No, it goes away after like uh, an hour or something. Weird. It, it, it is a, vi he is visually hiding this somehow, huh. and any change to the profile brings it back temporarily. Well, hey, at least he fired the vast majority of the people working at Twitter, so. Yes. Uh, so we can't <laughs> even begin to guess how exactly the bug works, but, you know, it works. Yeah. And in case you thought that Twitter would simply get rid of the ability to click someone's checkmark to see if they're legacy or Twitter blue... Uh, now that distinction is moot. You can still click on people's check marks and a message pops up and it just says verified account. This account is verified. <laughs> oh, cool. Oh, great. Great distinction. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. This is... We learned uh, so and much here. It's so funny. Like, you have to do more to fucking watch porn in Utah than become a verified person on Twitter. Like, there's nothing to say that these people are like, it's like they have a phone number and a credit card. That's it. Well, not... So a lot of people are theorizing that he removed that language for the potential of being sued by the people he was giving subscriptions to, uh, yeah. check marks to, including dead people, where it yeah. says this person gave their phone number and like signed up. Yeah. That might be considered defamation. So he just changed it to verified user. This user is verified. Just. Do you want to, do you, would you like to know more? This person has Twitter verification. They are verified. It's a verified user. Yeah. This person, they're verified. Verified. They got verified. Hey, we got verification over here. Hey, who wants verification? Hey, eight bucks. Put eight that bucks, money in my 11 hand. Eleven bucks. Whatever you want to pay. Who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? I might even just give it to you for free. Fuck it. And there are like... Uh, Where's like, the Cybertruck, dickhead? There are random fucking people, like not even celebrities, getting... Just finding... Who never signed up for Twitter Blue. Just getting blue check marks, too. That they don't know how to get rid of. It's a lovely website. And it's running great. No notes. Uh, in other Twitter news, we assumed that Elon Musk's weird, pointless feud with National Public Radio was over now that NPR simply stopped posting to Twitter. But this man's pettiness knows no bounds. After tagging NPR's account as government-funded media, which is not true, uh, last week he removed that tag and all the similar tags from media accounts across the site. And he's apparently really butthurt that NPR hasn't come crawling back. Uh, so here's NPR reporting on itself. In an unprompted Tuesday email, Musk wrote, So is NPR going to start posting on Twitter again, or should we reassign at NPR to another company? <laughs> Under Twitter's terms of service, an account's inactivity is based on logging in, not tweeting. Those rules state that an account must be logged into at least every 30 days, and that prolonged inactivity can result in it being permanently removed. Musk did not answer when asked whether he planned to change the platform's definition of inactivity, and he declined to say what prompted his new questions about NPR's lack of participation on Twitter. Our policy is to recycle handles that are definitively dormant, Musk wrote in another email. Same policy applies to all accounts. No special treatment for NPR. Again, this is him realizing that no one gives a shit about him or his platform. Yeah, yeah. And he's upset about that. It's clearly affecting him. Yeah. Um, 
It is weird. Like I, I, him and all of his fans, they were like, "Oh, Elon owned NPR so hard that they left, and now it's like, what, what? he's begging them to come back, basically." <laughs> yeah. Like, which, which is it? What yeah. the fuck do you want? I think. God it's, damn. It's funny that I think he would have actually been fine taking the massive financial hit on Twitter if he had got exactly what he was looking for, which is the respect and admiration of people universally. Well, that's not possible. But that's, now he's losing both. It's the one thing money can't buy. It exactly. It's fucking crazy. By doing this, he's lost both. Because yeah. any goodwill that was left for him, any uh, uh, you know, of the people who hadn't been aware of his previous scandals, just because he's like a guy, yeah. and no one's you know habitually online, that is all now gone because uh, he looks like a bad businessman now. Yeah. yeah. And only the worst people are his biggest fans. Yeah, it is really telling. It's like, got to be embarrassing to have a Tesla if you bought it, you know, years ago, and you're just like, and and also he keeps lowering the price, which lowers the perceived value of whatever you're driving currently, anyway. Mm-hmm. So the Mach E looks great. <laughs> sure, I guess. So yeah, what a fucking dickhead. And yeah. uh, in a similar example of Elon just making this all up as he goes along and repeatedly learning the hard way why Twitter used to run the way it was. Uh, his decision to charge $42,000 a, a month for API access that used to be free was, of course, hugely unpopular, but especially for accounts that used the API to post stuff like emergency alerts, weather forecasts, public transit updates, etc. Half a million dollars a year to keep posting? Okay, then we're not going to fucking post anymore. Fine. So, of course, this week we got this little update. One of the most important use cases for the Twitter API has always been public utility. Verified gov or publicly owned services who tweet weather alerts, transport updates, and emergency notifications may use the API for these critical purposes for free. It's that tweet from November all over again. The yeah. YouTuber just tapping the, the song. Sean tweet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just every time Elon has to learn... Oh, that's the, why they were doing that. The same exact reasons that Twitter learned over 15 years yeah. that certain things had to be certain ways. Uh, so, yeah... <laughs> That's good. Thanks for the the update. Uh, It shouldn't have taken you this long to realize that these accounts add value to your platform and not the other way around. But better late than never. Again, he has a clear misunderstanding of why Twitter was He's got everything even minimally backwards. successful. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, his, this man's brain is fascinating. Yeah, and but, so are the brains of his, everyone who loves him. API access for non-public service accounts, they're still half a million dollars a year. And the latest player to back out is WordPress. One of the most popular website creation platforms. And also the backbone of a lot of stuff that you don't even know yeah. it's the backbone of. Backbone of. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I mean, I don't know the exact amount, but I, I would imagine near the majority of websites uh, it's what you on the build internet off are built yeah. with WordPress yeah. and use WordPress publishing tools. Yeah, so they're not sharing. You literally can't <laughs> automatically share to Twitter if you uh, use WordPress. Again, this is all, like, these are... Good things for Twitter to have. Yeah. (laughs) This boosts all of their views and engagement Mm -hmm. and potential advertiser dollars because they want that engagement and those views. Mm -hmm. So, look, no more sharing from WordPress to Twitter. They fixed the glitch. Uh, Every one of Elon's decisions seems to lead inevitably to people posting less than before. But, uh, okay, maybe that's not entirely fair. Uh, People keep using Twitter Blue's video length perks to upload... Things like the entire Super Mario Brothers movie. And not the good one. 
Yeah, the one that's in theaters right now. <laughs> and what's great is barely anyone works at Twitter, so it takes hours for them to take down these posts. And in one example, over 9 million people watched the Mario movie on Twitter. And with the very limited insider knowledge of how movie studios uh, operate internally with copyright uh, distinction, you can bet that they are fucking pissed about this. Yeah, not just movie studios. Um, you combine the average movie studio's approach to DMCA with Nintendo. Yeah. The most litigious fucking uh, IP company maybe on Earth. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure they were all fucking stoked about it taking like 12 hours for a viral post containing the entire Super Mario Bros. movie. To Avatar get 2 down. as well yeah. was up. Uh, yes, it's it's insane and also just imagine because oh my god just knowing these people behind the scenes some of them from over the years and knowing how frustrating it must have been to be emailing and like punching a keyboard and getting on a phone and not being able to get a hold yeah. of anyone yeah and you're watching you know theoretically i mean the number is always inflated for what it actually yeah would be, it's but like, like people just be like, like oh we lost a billion dollars because yeah. of it that, this is the downside to counting like a glance as a view yeah <laughs> Uh, it opens them up to potentially uh, bigger uh, penalties. Yeah, it's like, you know, uh, when torrenting was at its peak, they're just like, uh, we're losing trillions of dollars. And it's like, no, people that are watching this probably wouldn't have gone out and paid for it anyway. But Also, all the biggest like BitTorrent uh, people I knew back in the day were literally just digital hoarders who would download like never watch everything anything. and just had like a giant hard drive and like never watched any of it. Yeah, they, they would just, just, had it. just show people how impressive it was. Yeah. I have every movie. Oh, cool. Which one do you want to watch? I don't know. Let's just watch Super Troopers on DVD again. <laughs> Anchorman. <laughs> oh, the good old days. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Ooh. oh, geez, another very, oh, fuck, almost an hour. Well, okay, we got to uh, get out of here before yeah, an hour. Yeah. Uh, uh, like the video, please. Oh, yeah. Hit, and... Make sure you hit the like button. Uh, when you hit the like button, confetti goes up. <laughs> You're going to love it. Yeah. But you can only love it if you see it. And to see it, you have to like it. Yeah. And subscribe to the channel. And please, if you haven't seen it already, we covered the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Among... Dark Brandon. <laughs> He's back, baby. And uh, uh, among other things, and also uh, New Guy just dropped. New Guy. Arthur Knight on Weekly Weird News. We'll be back with more episodes coming later this week. In the meantime, um, yeah, watch everything else. Like the video. Do whatever. Uh, engage in comments down Please below. Please engage. Thank you. Bye-bye.